other passages, so do have your Bibles ready. This is the last message in this Advent series. I've been taking a cue from John 17, verse 18. John 17 is the place where we have recorded for us the so-called high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's where he prays before going to the cross for his disciples immediately because they're feeling anxious and ready to be scattered and and lost, frankly. And so he prays for his disciples because they're going to become apostles, who will be the the founders, if you will, of the church, uh, Christ being the chief cornerstone. But he also prays by extension and says specifically, I also pray for those who will come to believe through them. That's us. So there's this sense in which he prays for the disciples and those who come to Christ, come to him through them, all of us. It's this prayer for us. So it's a special prayer because it's the Lord Jesus praying it. And there's no question about what God's will is when God the Son is praying for something. Prays for several things. But the one line that I take and then have used for these last four weeks has hopefully prompted us to think of how we might be fulfilling that prayer that Jesus prayed. With that, I'll read just the verse and then we'll pray. John 17, verse 18. Praying to the Father, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much unrest and upheaval in our lives and in our world. I pray that you would grant a sense of calm as we consider the work of Christ and his lordship over the world and men. Please renew our appreciation for Christ's sufficient work, but also for his ongoing watch care over all things. For those with anxieties this morning, and all of us I'm sure have some, please cause us to cast our cares upon Christ afresh, who is the prince of every kind of peace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the verse is the 18th of chapter 17, and he, the son, Jesus, is praying as he has been sent into the world. That's what we think about during Advent time. God's sending Jesus. As God sent Jesus, he then says, send them. So in some way, like Christ came, we are to go into the world. Now, you could look at Jesus' life and find several different themes that run throughout. None are more important than what he came to do by way of his work. He came to lay himself down as a sacrifice that we might be right with God. Nothing is more important than that part of his mission. But as he fulfills that mission, he demonstrates several things that we as his people can emulate by his grace. The first one is that he brings himself to every situation. He brings the gospel. He brings the way to be right with God that is himself, and we are to bring him to. We're to bring the gospel everywhere we go. But he doesn't just do that. He also, in so doing, shows great compassion on people who are suffering. And everybody, this side of the fall of mankind, suffers in some way. The vestiges of sin are real, and they're ravaging, and there's lots of misery in the world. And so we're to bring compassion as we bring Christ. And we bring Christ when we bring compassion to some degree. So Jesus brings the gospel, so we are to bring the gospel. Jesus brings compassion, so we are to bring compassion. But he doesn't do any of this disconnected from constantly revealing the truth. The truth of the gospel, first and foremost, and then the truth about life. the, The right way to look at life, the lens to see things through. That's what Jesus does too. So we are to bring truth to bear in the world as well. All of these we have to bring, 
the gospel, compassion, and truth. And today, the last of the four that I'm typifying, I mean, there are other things that Jesus brought, but I think this one is also uh, one of the key things Jesus brought as he went out and did the ministry the Father gave him. He brought peace. He brought peace to those who were struggling with upheaval. You know, there's a, a verse that we consider every week, probably read it in some fashion during our Advent services every week during these four weeks, and certainly uh, again this coming Christmas Eve. It's Isaiah 9 that 700 years before Jesus is born, says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, in that last phrase, Prince of Peace. And people in the world, even if they don't believe in Christ as Savior, they like to accent the peace on earth part of Christmas and that message. You'll hear people of all persuasions talk about peace on earth. Now, that's wonderful, but the problem is God has a prescription or an order for how peace might happen. And we won't realize any lasting peace of any sort without following what God lays out as the road, if you will, to peace. What is peace? Well, Peace basically means a freedom from disturbance. I think all of us long for peace. I think everybody wants a sense of contentment, no conflict, no confrontation, no anxiety, nothing you're sitting about right now thinking about you have to get right on Monday morning. Uh, We'd just love to be free of those disturbances, that turmoil that comes into our lives. It's quiet and tranquility, as some say. The freedom from or cessation of war or violence in that macro sense when we look at the globe and how tore up it is with war and violence, tranquility, harmony, security, all of these things. You know, over 450 times in the Bible, there's some reference to the actual word shalom in the Old Testament for peace, and there's several Greek words. Over 450 times, the word is mentioned, and the concept is even more than that. So peace is a big part of the Bible's message, and certainly Christ's message, and certainly his mission. This is why he says where? In the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, everybody wants peace. No one wants unrest, anxiety, and apprehension. There's a sense in which everyone knows that there is no pervasive shalom or peace now. People just can sense that. Even in our confines here, as peaceful as it is as we look out, we know the world over there are many, especially Christians right now, who are not experiencing earthly peace. They're being persecuted. They're being run out of the places they are, killed even in some cases. Since the entrance of sin, and because of the ongoing remnants of sin in humanity, in the world, in the presence of the devil still roaming, we have anxiety and strife all around us. So peace is a theme that we talk about, but seldom really come to contemplate how it could be realized in any real lasting sense. It's certainly one of the main themes emphasized during this Christmas and Advent time, peace. You know, if you think of the songs we sing during the season, they're some of the most profound doctrinally that you'll find in all of Christianity. I'll lace a few throughout because they really key on this point of peace. Jesus' coming brings peace. But this is such a simple, really one-dimensional word when we say it that way. But start to think of how the hymn writers unpack it, because I think most of them get it right. It's multifaceted. There's multiple aspects or levels to peace, starting with Christ and our peace with God, then extending to peace to each other, and then a sense of peace about the world, and then from there we might begin to realize some peace on earth, but not fully until Christ comes back 
his final time. Wesley wrote in a hymn we love to sing, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, sense of slavery we have without Christ. From our fears and sins release us. That's a lack of peace. Our fears and sins. Let us find our rest in thee. Another verse from that same hymn captures this concept of peace and our longing for it and God giving it to us in Christ. Israel's strength and consolation. They need to be consoled because they're not at peace. Hope of all the earth thou art. Not just Israel. That's the gateway to God's grace being extended to others. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. We long for peace, and only Christ can bring it. The hymns nail, really, the Bible's teaching on peace. So we say it this way, true peace starts with our having peace with God through Christ. Then it moves to our relationships with each other. Then it moves to our outlook on the world and life. Then it will be realized in the world, finally, when Christ brings it. We see the personal peace with God through Christ as the beginning of this ultimate shalom or peace. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Notice there's not just this blanket, shallow peace on earth without a connected God and sinners reconciled. You can't have peace without sinners being reconciled to God. It'll never happen. It's tough enough for Christians not to fight with each other. But people without the Holy Spirit, and then to expect them to stop fighting, it's irrational. doesn't match with reality regarding humankind. Peace with God, peace with each other, peace with life, and peace on earth, all through Christ. Let's look as the outline lays out for you before you. I'll give you some passages that I'll refer to. You can jot them down for maybe considering this week in your devotions or your time with your family or just contemplating, reflecting upon these concepts. When we talk about the Prince of Peace, there's more than just uh, one level of understanding. There are several layers to peace that Jesus brings. First, and most importantly, probably, as a starting point, there's a certain order. It begins with peace with God through Christ. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, again, 700 years before the time of Jesus, forecasts Jesus' coming. Isaiah 53, 5, listen to what this says about peace with God through Christ. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So people are not born basically good at all. People are not born as God's children. Because of the sin of our father Adam, every person is conceived in iniquity and estranged from God in the worst way you can imagine. It's not a little bad. It's as bad as it can be to be estranged from God apart from him. In our natural state, we oppose God. We are at war with him. That's the truth about our state apart from Christ. No peace with God except through faith in Christ. That's why the punishment that was upon Jesus brought us peace Romans 5, 1 and 2, listen to what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have been justified or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have faith in Christ, the war with God stops because the righteousness of Christ is ours and God sees that and he stops the war because of Christ. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, 
we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you have a sense of unrest in your life, and maybe some of you can tell this story, and I know some of you can because I've talked to you personally about it. You, you were living a basically good life by what people said and saw around you. But you knew inside there was something wrong. You were at war with God because you were trying to pitch your goodness uh, before him and wanted him to accept it. But you knew your goodness wasn't that good. And as God worked on you and drew you to his son, it became clear as peace came over you that it's all of God's work of grace through Christ. But someone who's not there yet is constantly at war and inner turmoil, constantly struggling after a sense of contentment that, contentment that never comes. It's because they're not right with God. They're still at war with God. They're still on the throne and want to be on the throne. They want things from God, but they want to stay on their throne of their life. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Again, this is not a one-time mentioned theme. This is throughout the Bible's teaching, and it's pervasive in the Christian life. We have to understand it. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been, been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's so clear in Scripture that the starting point for peace and experience who the Prince of Peace is, it happens with our being right with God through Christ. And the war with God stops. There's another aspect or another level, you might say, of peace. Peace with each other. So if we have peace with God, we can now start to have peace with each other. I think if we're honest, generally speaking, we, people say, I'm not confrontational. That may be true. Some people are more confrontational than others, and some people seem to enjoy arguments, things like this. But reality is, in the quietness of our hearts, especially if we're believers, we will not rest well if we're not at peace with each other. I hope you notice in our liturgy, there's actually a, a genius behind this historic liturgy. I didn't devise this. This is something the church has been doing for, for eons. And there's an order and a flow to it. And one of the parts of the order that oftentimes gets mistaken as kind of an intermission or like a let off or like, okay, we're really serious. Let's chill now for just a little bit and greet each other across the way. And cousins have meetings, and, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. I think that was great. I saw a meeting of the cousins in the back and family seeing each other. And hey, that's wonderful. We can have that fellowship. Why? It's part of the liturgy because we have peace with each other. It's not fake. We're not just going around acting like, oh, this time to be nice to each other and glad hand. That's not it. That's a wow. We get it. We've met with God. We've recognized our sin afresh. We know that Jesus makes us right with God. We're right with God. That makes us now be able to work that out in life, which is to have peace with each other. So we pass peace. That's what we do. And it's huge. It's the beginning. If you want to see peace on earth, it has to start in the church. Peace with each other through Christ. Second Corinthians, it's the second letter Paul wrote. We're studying the first one in our regular series. But Second Corinthians 13, listen to these two, three verses about this. Peace with each other through Christ. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Remember that church was splintered, still was struggling with it. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That verse 14 is my favorite benediction that I use almost half the time when I give a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But before that, he's telling them, get along. 
Get along in Christ. You can. It's kind of the end of the book, and he's summarizing everything. Bottom line, of all the things I've told you in this whole book of 2 Corinthians, and first for that matter, comes down to this. Agree with each other. The God of love and peace will be with you. He writes to the Colossians. Again, this is not just a one-time mention. He says this, Paul does throughout. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. You must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony or peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. What a great theme verse for us going into a new year. Let the peace of Christ, which we've just mentioned, what that really is, what he's accomplished in giving us peace, and then spreads to us. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. The unity comes from the peace that Christ purchases us. If we just avoid the problems, if we don't talk out the things we need to talk out, we're not really living out the peace. It's not that we won't have conflicts. It's that when we have them, we'll see Christ to help us restore, to build up, to bring unity. There's one other verse I'll refer you to, Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body, and individually members one of another. That's the truth of the peace we have with each other. And this aspect of peace is addressed in the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. When John Dwight writes, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Here Dwight dwells on the peace of Christ manifesting itself in the peace we have with each other. The hymns are very dynamic, actually. All, almost all of the ones that mention peace have all the aspects of peace noted. It's not just a superficial, kind of modern approach to just, hey, let's all have peace, let's just all get along, meaning ignore what everyone else is saying or doing and just don't fight. There's another aspect to peace you see on your outline. And that is peace with life circumstances. This is something we can certainly bring to the world in a way that's sometimes intangible. I have met people who have received terrible medical news, at least on the surface level. It seems bad. Yet I've watched them carry themselves with a peace. It's not that they're unrealistic. It's not that they're not upset about what's happening. No one wants to go through pain and suffering. But there is a sense of, of, of contentment or acceptance with the fact that God is in utter control. That this isn't just happened by accident. And that peace that happens at those moments in life circumstances, that has a powerful statement and witness to people watching. What makes a person have that kind of peace in the, the stormiest of times? And many of you, all of you at some level, I'm sure, have gone through something very difficult that for the onlooker, we would say, how can they deal with this? And I've watched this over and over again. God gives a special grace to his children in times and it does really surpass understanding, as we'll see Paul write. Peace with life circumstances is one of the great fruits of peace with God through Christ. In John 14, a few chapters before the key passage we've been looking at, he can sense the anxiety and the lack of peace in his disciples. And he says to them, and I referred to this last week, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's saying, I know what's coming is difficult. I've been prepping you for my departure and all that's going to happen, and you're scared, you're anxious. And he's saying, I'm giving you peace. Not like the world gives, just words that are superficial and empty and meaningless, but real peace. With our relationship to God clear and sure, tomorrow then doesn't bring the same stress that it once did. It's no, I, I'm not taking away from immediate circumstances. It's sometimes all we can see because they're so difficult, so trying. But for the believer, peace with God and others leads to a sense of peace about what, whatever will be. And even when we receive terrible news or something bad is facing us, sometimes that's the mechanism God uses to make us utterly dependent upon him, which then brings us peace. Philippians. This is the passage I was referring to. Paul writes very pastorally, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Always, not just in the good times. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Even keeled, content about things. The Lord is at hand. I believe the Lord's here, meaning that I believe the Lord is always present. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You notice how it says, it doesn't say, present your prayers to God and he'll answer them and you'll be good. He doesn't say this. It says, present them with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the great fruits of prayer is not to get what you want or to make God do something a certain way. It's actually to bring you peace. As you pray over a situation over and over again, there's a sense of peace God will give us. In John 16, Jesus is again talking. The last part from John 14 all the way to the end, he's doing a combination of consoling his disciples about what's coming and doing the actual work of redemption as he goes to the cross. And in John 16, he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own house, and will... Leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says to his disciples, to us. Philip Brooks, who wrote, O Little Town of Bethlehem, another favorite we sing, captures, I think, this concept. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All the sense of anxiety, apprehension, nervousness, instability met in Christ. Finally, you can see another level, you might say, of peace. Peace on earth under Christ. You know, there's not much in the Bible about the heavenly state. My children ask me all the time, and we have these long, really philosophical, theological, quasi-theoretical discussions about what heaven will be like. What will it be like in glory? And there's just not a lot in the Bible. You might think there's more, but there's not. And I think, frankly, our fallen minds can only handle so much of what that revelation would look like. I just don't think it, it, we can handle or totally appreciate all the dimensions that are true of what life in the world to come will be like. The Bible's predominantly given so that we might know peace with God and others through Christ. The Bible's predominantly given so we might have peace in this world 
of sin and strife. It's to guide us in Christ, to Christ. It's all about Christ. No matter what happens, it still comes back to Messiah. The Bible only gives us inklings of the world to come. It's kind of hard to imagine a world without violence. Who could picture actual peace? A lamb proverbially laying with a lion. That's just impossible for me to, to, to wrap my mind around. You know, Isaac Watts, when he wrote Joy to the World, he wasn't actually writing a, a first Advent hymn. It was a second Advent hymn. It was about Jesus' coming again. We sing it at Christmas time, but it's really about his final coming. And he gives us a little bit of an inkling into this based on his understanding of Scripture. He said, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. He makes the nations prove what? The glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And he'll prove this as he brings peace and he brings real tranquility in the life in the world to come. Isaiah, this great prophet, 700 years before Jesus comes the first time, 2,700 years ago now, he forecasts the totality of Messiah's ministry, which is not over yet. Jesus is still ministering. Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurry or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just a prophetic, poetic picture of what this total peace will look like, at least in a form we can understand. There can, though, be a significant peace in its various stages and forms when Christ is brought to people. Little pockets of such peace, they're kind of micro pictures of the total peace that will be brought when Jesus makes all things right. And we can look forward to this reality, even in small ways, by living it out here. Edmund Sears wrote, It came upon a midnight clear, and he wrote, For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold. When with ever-circling ears come round the age of gold. When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling. And the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. So Sears got it right. Celebrate Advent, celebrate Christmas now. Because it gives us peace with God through Christ. Peace with each other at some level. And ultimately we look forward to that final peace and that age of gold as he says. The whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. The whole world will sing glory to God in the highest. Well, we have spent four weeks considering the application of just one line in Jesus' prayer. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If I would boil it down this way, put it on a post-it note, I tell every one of our members, bring the gospel, bring compassion, bring the truth, and bring peace. 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this season of reflection about Jesus' coming.